thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Um, Verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your great your name great, like the names of the greatest men of on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more as they did on the, at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people in Israel. I will also give you, the, you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise you up, raise you up, your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul." whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Um, This is the word of the Lord. Morning. As usual, there are printed copies of the sermon at the back of the church for those of you who are hard of hearing or for those for whom English is not your first language. As we come to look at God's written word, let's pray together. Lord God, may these words that were written at the Spirit's prompting many years ago by that same spirit be brought alive within our own hearts and minds this morning. May what is merely my thoughts fade away like a dream, but may your truth in all its fullness abide and transform us so that you alone may be glorified among us. Amen. Well, last week we had the first Sunday in Advent and Zane looked at our problem, our hearts. And today in the second week, we look at God's promise to bring some help. In particular, we're going to look at God's promises, God the promise keeper, and God will be true to his promise, and Christ will return. 
I wonder if you can remember as a child that terrible feeling of being let down when having been promised something by one of your parents, it didn't happen. But you promised, we pleaded, all to no avail. However good we are as parents, sometimes we're just not able to do what we promised. Circumstances out of our control over rule, whether it's an unexpected illness or visitor or change in the weather, with the best will in the world, we find we can't always keep our promise. And it hurts us as much as it hurts the child. But looking at our readings this morning, I wonder if you noticed that the readings were chock full of promises. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, we had nine promises of God to Abraham, things that God would do for and through him. And in 2, chap in two Samuel chapter 7, we had 16 promises of God to David and his descendants. God says, I will bring it to pass. Not because you've earned it, not because of my grace. The Bible is full of promises from end to end. We said together the Benedictus this morning, the song of Zechariah from Luke chapter 1, and the whole passion of Zechariah's words is that God has now done what he promised. First, his promises to Abraham, and then through the mouths of the prophets, down through the history of the Jewish nation. So in verse 70, God said through his holy prophets of long ago. The fulfillment of God's promise is now upon us, excitedly proclaims Zechariah. And the whole Old Testament story is one of an emerging picture of what God promises he would do in the coming of the Messiah. One of the key purposes of the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols is to emphasize this in the readings. They begin all the way in Genesis, and they include the prophets, and they go through to the Gospels. Matthew and Luke in particular pepper their accounts of the birth of Jesus with quotes or allusions to prophecies from the Old Testament. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, quotes what is believed to be a very early creed. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Twice in these three verses we have the phrase according to the scriptures. And remember at that time the scriptures were the Old Testament. Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament. Some people want to jettison the Old Testament. But it was the Bible that Jesus had, knew, and used. The early apostles grounded their understanding of Jesus within the Old Testament story. What was promised has now been fulfilled in Jesus. 
Scott McKnight in his book, The King Jesus Gospel, has this helpful quote in relation to according to the scriptures. In Peter's first gospel sermon, as sketched in Acts chapter 2, he quotes Joel 1 and Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Peter journeys backwards into time, into the depths of Israel's story, so that he can show that the whole story points forward to Jesus Christ and Pentecost. In his second gospel sermon, found in Acts chapter 3, Peter quotes Deuteronomy 18, verses 15, 18 to 19. That famous passage in the Old Testament about the future prophet like Moses. Jesus is that prophet, according to Peter's gospel. In Acts 3, verse 25, Peter quotes Genesis chapter 22, 18, or 26, 4, both mentioning the blessing of the Gentiles to establish the Abrahamic origins of the gospel. In Acts 10, Peter finishes off the gospeling event at Cornelius' house by making a claim that only folks as far removed as we are can miss his extravagance. All the prophets testify about Jesus Christ. To emphasize according to the scriptures further, remember that Jesus' name in Hebrew would have been Yeshua ben Yosef. Or in English, Jesus the son of Joseph. But after the resurrection, he was designated as Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Christ. Christ is not his surname, but his title. Christ is the English form of the Greek word Christos, which means anointed, which in turn is the meaning of the Hebrew Messiah, from where we get our word Messiah. So Jesus the anointed one is the one the Old Testament pointed to who would usher in the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And in the Old Testament, priests, kings, and prophets were anointed. So Jesus, as the priest after the order of Melchizedek, King David's greater son, and a prophet like no other, was anointed, not by the hands of men, but by the hand of God. Remember our studies in Luke, where Jesus read from Isaiah at the synagogue in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And then Jesus goes on to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All the strands of sacred history come together upon the head of Jesus, the Messiah. So that the New Testament is the book about the Messiah with the Greek word Christos occurring over 500 times in the New Testament. And the title Christ or Christos is only meaningful when read in the context of the Old Testament. Secondly, let's look a little more at the God who keeps his promises. As I said at the beginning, with the best will in the world as a parent, we sometimes find we can't keep our promise. We can't keep it because things happen that are out of our control or that we hadn't foreseen 
or more embarrassingly, forgotten about. Aren't you pleased that God is not like that? He's not blindsided by events, somehow taken off guard by circumstances, or even forgetful. If God has said something, then you can be sure he will carry it out, and he will ensure that it will happen. That's his nature. And the whole story of the coming of Jesus at Bethlehem is a fulfillment of God's promise in God's time. I'm sure there were many godly men and women who lived after the return from the exile who longed for the fulfillment of God's promise of Messiah. Yet he did not come in their lifetime. The Messiah came at the right time. As Paul reminds us in Romans 5, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. By definition, God's time must be the right time. Perhaps it's only with hindsight we can see the wisdom of his choice of timing. God's timing must always be the right time. It may be that at some point in your life, you've had a very clear word from God that he would do something for you or for someone you love. Yet you still await its fulfillment. If God has said it, then he will do it. Don't lose heart. You see, being faithful to his promise is part of God's character. And that's so important for us to grasp and to cling on to, come what may. When God's character is described and praised in the Old Testament, one of the Hebrew words that's frequently used is chesed. It actually occurs over 240 times in the Old Testament. It's a rich word, so rich that Translators have difficulty in fully expressing its meaning in English. So it's frequently translated loving mercy, loving kindness, merciful goodness, kindness, mercy, goodness, lasting love, loyal love, or unfailing love. Perhaps the closest would be loyal love. As Ronald Allen wrote, the word chesed reveals the name nature and character of God in a most impressive way. He is everlastingly loyal to his covenant, to his people, to his promises. Repeated in the book of Psalms, the term chesed is the principal focus in the people's praise of the Lord. Being true to his promise is going right to the heart of the unchanging character of God. But Advent's not only a time when we look again to the coming of Jesus, a baby in Bethlehem, but we also look forward to his second coming again in glory and honor and power, his second Advent. God kept his promise when Messiah came to Bethlehem. God can be relied upon to keep his promise that Jesus will come again as Lord of all. It's been computed that there are over 250 clear references to the return of Jesus in the New Testament, with reference to the second coming found in every book of the New Testament 
apart from Galatians, Philemon, and 2 and 3 John. In 1 Thessalonians, which is actually one of the very early letters, we read, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be always with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Unfortunately, the detailed interpretations of the second coming have often been a source of passionate disagreement and confusion among Christians. So we lose the encouragement within this promise. But God has promised, and he will keep his promise. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's interesting to compare the state of the Jewish longing at the time of Jesus for God to do something compared to the world in which we live today. During the intertestamental period, there arose within Judaism a growing longing for God to do something, to intervene in the affairs of the nation that would go on to affect the whole world. And that longing crystallized into a hope for God's anointed one, the Messiah. They'd returned from exile in Babylon, but they were still under foreign rule, first under the Persians, then under Greek rule, with a short period of freedom under the Maccabees, and then under the heel of the Romans. And those foreign powers were all pagans, bringing idolatrous ideas to the people of God. They had a king in Herod, but he wasn't of David's line. And even the priesthood had been usurped by Maccabees. You get the picture. A profound disappointment with the religious and political situation, their leaders and movements of the time. Additionally, although the Jewish people had a rebuilt temple, it was hollow. That is, the presence of God was absent. The Ark of the Covenant was absent. God's Shekinah glory descended upon the tabernacle in the wilderness and on Solomon's temple at its dedication. But prior to the sacking of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar, Ezekiel had his vision of the glory of God departing from the temple. And the Jews were still awaiting its return. So as Tom Wright points out, although they'd returned from geographical exile, most believed that the theological state of exile was still continuing. And so into a world of all these longings and despair and disappointment, step first, John the Baptist And then Jesus, the Messiah.
Is it any wonder the question that was asked about Jesus was, can this be the Messiah? That was their hope for deliverance. That was their expectation. I can't help seeing some similarities in our day among the people of God. As they look upon the state of the world we live in, the longing for Jesus to return and bring in the fullness of his kingdom in truth, mercy, righteousness, and peace. As Jesus came to Bethlehem to fulfill God's promise, so Jesus will surely return again to fulfill his promise. As the old hymn says, Nearer and nearer draws the time, the time that shall surely be, when the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>